You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. So we've been taking you through Cephalopod's sign first part of my forthcoming YA fantasy novel, The Adventures of Woodrow the Wicked. If you haven't heard parts one and two, go back and listen to them now. Otherwise, you won't know what's going on in this episode. On the last episode, Woodrow agreed to help rid the salvage area of the giant hermit cephalopod living there. But now that he's made the plunge into the beast's watery habitat, he's having second thoughts. Meanwhile, his pet great cat, Tamberline, is still lost in the jungle. And what's more, she's found herself testing her wits against an enigmatic supernatural being. Will the two live to see each other again? On this episode of Lies and Half-Truths, Part 3 of Cephalopod Sign. First, a short break. Stay with us. This episode's sponsor is the great young adult science fiction and fantasy writer, Sydney Swanson. We featured the first chapter of her excellent sci-fi novel, Saving Mars, on this podcast not too long ago. You can pick up that book and a lot more at her website, sydneyswanson.com that's c-i-d-n-e-y-s-w-a-n-s-o-n.com go check it out and now cephalopod sign part three Tamberline narrowed her eyes at each of the gulls in turn. She looked at the pool. Fish danced here and there, beneath the rippled water, unaware of the contest beyond the glassy lens that sealed their world. When the moment she had been waiting for arrived, Tamberline pounced. The water leapt up around her with a smack. A fish squirmed beneath her paw. She dipped her nose in and clamped down with her jaws. The fish wiggled in her grasp, but she held it firm, being careful not to break the skin. Tamberline came out of the pool, laid the fish before the seagulls, and bowed her head. The gulls blinked in unison. A burst of wind jostled the leaves.
Woodrow cut the sandbags free from his ankles. With the weight of the helmet, he found he could stand on the ocean floor and walk almost normally. He tried to jump and soared through the water, landing in a cloud of sand. Wow, he said aloud, and laughed in spite of himself. He could see the gun turrets of the firebrand standing above the seaweed and the jagged peaks of the other sunken vessels. He made his way toward them. A clearing surrounded the firebrand. Its hull gaped before him. Inside lay darkness. Then a flash of color, deep orange, curling within the ship's hull. Woodrow tried to scratch the back of his neck, but his hand only found metal rivets. He took a breath, then another. Can he see me? Should I start signing? All at once, like a blood drop unraveling in a pool of water, the monstrous creature emerged from his shell. Eight arms splayed and waving. The sudden movement sent a current of water that threw Woodrow backward. He found himself toppling, spinning until the hull of another wreck struck him hard against his back. Oof, he pronounced to the stars at the periphery of his vision. The next articulate thought he had went something like, this was a big mistake. Tamberline flinched at the gust of wind, only to find it warm and gentle. Only one gall remained. You have chosen wisely, great cat, came the voice, whispering on the wind, caressing her coat like a soft hand. So I will explain the riddle. I laid before you, I am Iplio. I rule the currents and the salty air in the southern sea. This, the first gall, was meant to convey. The second gall smelled of rot and decay, and the third smelled of spice and gold. This is because I am the master of the sailor's fate. I bring destruction, calamity, and loss to the bottom of the sea, or I bring success, wealth, and prosperity. Both fates are in my power and within my rights. The great cat bowed her head, a gesture uncommon to her species. Woodrow looked out the glass of his diving helmet at the lens of the Nanamiho's eyes. It was about three times the size of his own head. He told himself to breathe, then started to inch sidelong across the hull of the ship against his back. The Nanamiho's eye followed him. When Woodrow felt open space, he stopped. He took a deep breath, crouched, and jumped. At the apex of his jump, he began the first sign greetings, and peace. He landed in a cloud of sand. Did I say that right? When he looked up at the giant cephalopod, its eye seemed somehow larger. The creature coiled his tentacles momentarily, then burst out in a series of violent gesticulations. Woodrow tumbled backward at the force of the water displaced by the creature's movements. For one second, he was looking up at the surface of the water. Watching the salvage ship's hull sway and bob, he grabbed hold of a sea vine and held tight. 
When the surge of water ceased, he stood, brushed the sand from his shirt and trousers, and approached the giant again. He jumped and tried another series of signs. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. He then set his back against the stable hull of a sunken vessel and braced himself for the Nanamiho's response. The conversation lasted 45 minutes. It had been a great while since the Nanamiho had entertained anyone, even his own kind. The resulting pleasantries were long, but once dispensed with, left Woodrow feeling rather more confident in his signing skills. At that point, Woodrow asked the giant cephalopod about his shell, the firebrand, to which the beast replied that it had begun to itch about a decade and a half ago, and if it weren't for the fact that ship hulls were remarkably durable, he would be rid of it. Woodrow suggested that this might be due to rust and corrosion. Perhaps it was time to replace its shell. The cephalopod replied that all the ships in the yard were similarly decayed. Perhaps, said Woodrow, what he needed was a new ship. Like the one you came from? asked the beast. Yes, Woodrow told him. In fact, the owners of Yon Vessel would like to offer it to him in exchange for allowing them to salvage in the area. They had another vessel weighing anchor in the deep waters outside the cove. The beast thought about this. Finally, he replied that he would accept their offer. It would take him a moment to shed his shell, but he would like to take possession of the ship immediately. Woodrow replied that this would be most acceptable. They said their goodbyes, and the Nanumiho re-entered his shell and began the process of breaking free of it. Woodrow gave his airline three sharp tugs, the sign that he was ready to surface. He then took a deep breath, removed the helmet, and pushed off the ground at an angle toward the shore. His lungs were burning by the time he arrived at the surface of the water, but he made himself break it slowly. He took a deep breath, trying not to gasp, and turned to look at the salvage ship. He could see the figure of the old man reeling in the airline. When only the helmet came up, the old man stared at it for a number of seconds, then called for his wife. Woodrow wanted to laugh, but he held it in and began making quiet strokes toward the shore. He didn't see the girl on the shore and hoped she had taken him seriously about getting off the ship. When he felt the sand beneath his feet, he turned to look at the salvage vessel again. What he saw startled him. On the deck of the salvage ship, the old man stood, watching him through a telescopic lens. Next to the old man stood the rotund old woman, and in front of her stood the girl. The old woman held something to the girl's neck, a knife. The old man was gesturing at Woodrow to come back. Are they laughing? Woodrow wondered if they would actually hurt the girl. The old man held up a hand, five fingers spread wide. He folded in his thumb. He's counting down, Woodrow realized. But the Nanamiho might attack at any moment. He was paralyzed by indecision. The old man folded in his pinky finger then his ring finger, then his middle finger. He held one finger in the air. He made a fist. At that moment, the water around the ship began to look as though it were boiling. A tentacle emerged, then another, a third and a fourth. They wrapped around the salvage vessel. The ship rocked side to side, and the old couple stumbled back and forth. 
gravel throat, let go of the girl, who fell forward with the sudden force of the rocking vessel and crashed headlong into the ship's railing. Her body crumpled upon the deck. No, Woodrow said aloud. I'm so stupid. Why did I do this? A second later, he knew what he had to do. He dove back into the water and began pumping toward the ship and the giant tentacled monster attacking it. The gull cocked his head like he were listening. Something else requires my attention, said the voice on the wind. I must leave you now, great cat, but I leave as a friend. The seagull lifted off the ground, flew in three rapid circles, then burst into a shower of feathers. Wind bent the tips of the trees and carried the feathers off toward the island's coast. Tamberline watched the feathers disappear in wonder. The friendship of a god was a dubious honor, to say the least and there was no way of knowing when or how such a thing might affect the adventure of one's own life. Then she remembered her hunger. It wouldn't be right to eat the fish she had offered to the god, so she went back to the pool and caught another for herself. Thank you for listening to Cephalopod Sign, Part 3 on the Lies and Half-Truths Podcast. This story was written and performed by A.P. Weber. The music was provided by Mackenzie Stubbard, and Josiah Martins wrote the theme song. Meg Weber produced the show along with me, your host, A.P. Weber. I'd like to invite you to get in touch with us. You can email your feedback to truesandhalftruths at gmail.com. Of course, we're on Facebook, and my Twitter handle is at APWeber. In particular, we'd be interested in hearing from other writers who want their work to be featured on a future episode. The email again is truesandhalftruths at gmail.com. Also, please consider reviewing this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found it. Thanks. On the next episode of Lies and Half-Truths, the fourth and final part of Cephalopod Sign, in which... Look, there's still plenty of time for Woodrow to be eaten by a giant octopus monster. It really could happen next time. You won't know unless you listen. <laughs>